Well, good morning and Merry Christmas to everyone. Glad that you're here in the room. I want to welcome everybody who's watching online as well. If I haven't met you before, my name's Grant. I'm glad that you are here. Up on the second floor of this building, there is a storage room. It's just a big concrete box. There's no windows. And it's just full of, it's full of junk. Just stuff that we've accumulated all over the years. Let me show you a picture of it so you just kind of have a perspective of that's kind of one direction, right? It's just full of desks and chairs and old filing cabinets and tech gear and, and church stuff, baptismal supplies and communion supplies. And here's another picture from a different angle so that you can kind of see it. I mean, it's just for someone who's highly organized and borderline OCD, I have a name for that room. I call it hell, okay? That's what it is. For me, it just looks like a bomb went off and that's what was left over. That's just kind of how it works. Well, last week, I am, I, I'm doing an inventory of Christmas decor and communion things. We're getting ready. Next weekend, we're going to do a self-serve communion room. And, and I'm going to be across the hallway and I'd, I'd welcome you to come and just take a couple minutes and think about the reason why Jesus came. So I'm doing an inventory and it just so happens that all of the Christmas and communion stuff is in the far back left-hand corner of the room. So I'm in the far back left-hand corner of the room. Here's an important detail as the story develops. The light switch to this particular storage room is actually outside in the hallway. In fact, here's another, here's a picture. So you see that little tiny light switch there? Yeah, it's outside. Know where I'm going with this one? Okay. So I'm in the back corner of the room facilitating communion for all of God's precious children. And while I'm in the room, some energy-conserving, carbon-neutral, tree-hugging, nature-loving, conscientious, formerly employed person of Christ the King <laughs> walks by, notices that someone left the light on, and decides to save some of your hard-earned tithe money, okay? And they turn the light off. One flip of a switch, and I am plunged into complete and total darkness. There are no other light sources anywhere else in this room, and I am stranded in the far back corner of a minefield of metal, sharp corners, and opportunities to get hurt really, really, really bad. Some of you are already thinking, turn on your iPhone flashlight, dummy, right? Okay? <laughs> Didn't have my phone with me, all right? So I'm in the corner of the room and I call out to try and catch the tree hugger before they leave. I'm like, hey, turn on the light. No response. So I said, hey, tree hugger, you're fired. Still no response, okay? So I do what any self-respecting survivalist would do in that opportunity. I put one hand out in front of my face and another hand in front of my knees, and I start navigating my way <laughs> through the minefield of metal and old desks. I'm trying to find my way back to where I thought the door was. <laughs> I was wrong, okay? Someone moved the door, apparently. But I mean, have you ever gotten turned around in a dark room? You ever been turned around in a dark room full of random furniture and metal? Have you ever found yourself in that situation thinking really, really bad things about conservationists? I mean, I have, and I had to repent of all of those feelings. I have no idea how long I actually wandered around inside of that room because, because of the height of the desks and stuff. I, couldn't, I could not see anything. Then finally, out of the corner of my eye, I see this tiny little sliver of light where the two entry doors actually meet. And I emerged from my dark prison with a new appreciation for light. That's all I wanted. I mean, for just one moment, my outlook was just a little bleak, a little dark. 
I see that a lot these days. For some, Christmas is the most wonderful time of the year. And if that's you, praise God for it. For others, it's a struggle. We go to school and work in the dark and we come home in the dark. There's this natural pressure of financial burdens. I mean, the heat bill goes up and so does the pressure to spend this time of year. Our schedules get fuller. I mean, we've got kids' performances and and end of the year work and and all of those things, final term papers, they've all got to be done. Along with that, the expectations go up and we're trying to orchestrate multiple schedules. And I don't think I've met another human being who has ever mastered the art of being in two places at one time, even though, boy, you wish you could at this time. And then there's the family dynamics, right? (laughs) They're coming. next week, right? You put it all together, it can be a little bleak. We need you to pray for us this week. It's gonna be a little bleak here at Christ the King. On Tuesday, we have a memorial for a little three-year-old girl. And we need you to pray. On Wednesday, we have a memorial for a young 40-something mom who passed away from cancer. A little bleak. The book of Isaiah starts off very bleak. Like the first eight chapters, I think they should come with medication because they, they, they're difficult to read through. The nation of Israel is a mess. The prophet Isaiah is summarizing it with these words in chapter eight. And, and I want you to notice something here as Isaiah begins to talk to us 700 years before Jesus was born. He's talking in present tense. Like this is the reality of the world right now, but he's also looking forward. This is what's coming. And he summarizes the state of the nation with these words. Distressed and hungry, they roam through the land. I want to remind you of who they is. They is actually the chosen people of God, even though at this point in history, I think they were hoping that God would choose somebody else. They roam through the land. When they are famished, they become enraged and looking upward. They curse their king and their God. Then they will look toward the earth and see only distress and darkness, fearful gloom, and they will be thrust into utter darkness. That's bleak, right? That's bleak. And it's a description that's heartbreaking, hungry for something more. They get really, really angry because it's like, God, why don't you bail me out? Why don't you help me? God, you didn't meet expectations in 2019. Let's be honest. So they get frustrated and angry and they shake their fist at the only one who can do anything about their situation And they make a tragic, wrong human choice. This is the tragic, wrong choice of humanity. They make the decision to do this. If you can underline the words in Isaiah chapter eight, they look towards the earth. Instead of looking up, they look down. They look to human resources to fix the problem. And they fall into the lie. The government will fix it. The politicians will fix it. My therapist is going to fix it. Self-help will fix it. My sheer will and strength are going to fix it. My family's going to fix it. My stock investments are going to fix it. My work, I'm going to find meaning there. That's going to fix it. Something's going to fix it. So we chase it, whatever it is, and we find out a difficult truth about life. Life can be dark. These people try to find help and all they end up finding in looking towards the earth is distressed darkness, fearful gloom, and more darkness. It just seems like in this particular case, darkness is actually winning in the battle against light. And it's not just for the individuals, it's actually for the whole country. It's actually for the whole country. Let me give you the state of the nation in this particular time in history. The nation was filled with counterfeit religion and idolatry. 
People stopped worshiping God and they were choosing alternatives. They were worshiping self stuff and things. They thought they could find their own created way towards happiness. And what they find out is that as they become more addicted to comfort, the more their world grows dark, not light. Secondly, the nation was divided politically. I mean, in this time in Israel, the, the northern and southern kingdoms were in conflict. Civil war seemed like it was just days away. There was political tension. There was hard conversations going on. And everyone was a little freaked out because thirdly, the nation felt hopeless and uncertain of its future. People were wondering, what's going to happen next year? What's going to happen in the next 12 months? And they get afraid and wrapped in that fear and... And they kind of feel like they're stuck in a room full of desks and metal where if they just take the wrong step in the wrong direction, they're going to get hurt. Quick poll. Does that description of a nation sound remotely familiar to anybody else that's living in the United States right now? We've been pretty dark so far. Some of you are wondering, why did I come to church? Come on, Grant, help me out. Well, let me tell you, if you're wondering why you came to church, it's because of this very next statement. This next verse is going to pivot. Because we've, we've heard this statement before, it's always darkest before the dawn. That's true, right? But I also want to say this to you. John chapter 1 says this, the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not, not overcome it. So into the center of this bleakness, he shows up. I call him the light of hope. Isaiah chapter 9. After eight chapters of doom and gloom and darkness, these words just jump off the page. It says, the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. You, meaning Jesus, have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as warriors rejoice when dividing the plunder. So at this time in history, people are dismissing God, they're ignoring him, and people are still doing that. But because God loves people so much, in spite of their rejection, in spite of their isolation, God turns a light on. And the light is not a what, it's a who. The light of the world dawns. Jesus shows up, and when the light of the world shows up with that much wattage and voltage, the darkness doesn't have a chance. This is the first clear historic prophecy that Christmas was coming. That Jesus was going to step into the world in all of the darkness and turn on a light. This was the first clear prophetic indication that something was going to happen. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. Throughout this series, we've been listening to adult Jesus talk about the reason why he showed up as a baby. Week number one, Jesus said, I've not come to call the righteous but sinners to repentance. Last week, Jesus told us, I did not come to be served, but to serve and give my life as a ransom for you. Merry Christmas. <laughs> and now we're going to unpack another one, a little bit more obscure, another reason that Jesus came. Matthew 5, 17. Jesus talking, do not think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Up until this point in history, people were clinging to a promise. 
a promise that was laid out in the Old Testament that a Messiah was going to come. While they were looking for that Messiah to come, they were living under Old Testament law, 600 plus specific rules that God laid out and had instituted for his people. And if you broke just one of those laws, the only way to make yourself right with God at that time in history was to actually sacrifice an animal because sin always costs a life. That's just the way it works. It's kind of bleak, right? It's kind of bleak to think that there's this rule, this 600 rule list, and if you break one single one of them, you have a broken relationship with God. That's bleak when you think the only way to get to heaven is humanly impossible to achieve, right? That is, that's dark, and that's why Christmas is so beautiful. Because humanity needed a little help. Humanity needed someone to come along and say, I know you can't fulfill the old Old Testament law, but I can. We needed a savior. So God starts laying out the prophecies about this promised one. I'd like to give you four examples today. The first one is written 700 years before Jesus even showed up. 700 years. Wrap your head around that. And here was the prophecy in Isaiah chapter 9 verse 6. This Old Testament prophet sits down under the guidance of God himself and writes these words. For to us a child is born. To us a son is given. The government will be on his shoulders which means, my friends, you don't need to carry anything. He's got it. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. This ancient prophet, 700 years before Jesus shows up, says a child is coming and he's going to give everything, bring everything that humanity needs. And he understands this. Humanity's gonna need a wonderful counselor, someone who can speak truth and wisdom. Humanity's going to need a mighty God, someone who can wield righteousness and uncorrupted power for good instead of evil. Humanity's going to need an everlasting father, someone who's actually going to come and fulfill the role of a good dad. He's going to love his children with protection and honor and strength. That humanity's going to need a prince of peace, someone who can actually show up in the midst of all of the chaos and bring peace into some of those dark moments. Second prophecy comes from Micah chapter five. It's all about location. It says, but you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel whose origins are from old, from ancient times. You've heard the phrase before, location, location, location. I am just absolutely intrigued why God picked this location. If he was in this context, it would be like him saying, I'm going to send the Messiah to concrete Washington. <laughs> what? But that's exactly what he does. It's just the Hebrew equivalent. I'm looking across this room and I see a whole bunch of you that have stood with me on the shepherd hills of Bethlehem. We've been there, haven't we? It's beautiful. There's only one set of shepherd's fields outside of Bethlehem and, 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 they're, and they're quiet and they're, and they're quaint. And Bethlehem means house of bread. Out of the house of bread would come the bread of life. Jesus would come. And isn't it just like God to send him not through a capital city but through a little tiny out of the way town that was humble and rural and quiet. Third prophecy, Isaiah chapter seven. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel, which we know means God with us. 
But isn't that an interesting wrinkle? My imagination just does crazy things with the, with the Christmas story. I mean, and I, I can see this group of angels getting together going, hey, you know, we really need to brainstorm how we're going to introduce the Prince of Peace to all of God's people. Hey, I know what we'll do. Let's find a teenager and go with pregnancy. Oh, and by the way, let, let's call him God with them. It's beautiful, it's obscure, it's miraculous. I added one more because the truth is some of us struggle with prophecy because it seems like it takes forever for them to be fulfilled. The prophecies that I just read to you, 700 plus years before Jesus even shows up, this Old Testament prophet is whispering and whispering and whispering. Some of us have been holding on to a prophecy for a really, really long time. The prophecy is that Jesus came once and then he's gonna come back again. Some of you woke up this morning and said, today, this would be a good day. God, pick this one. Before they get here next week, now. Take your children home, Jesus, come. Come quickly, all right? And it seems like it's taking forever. And, and the more pain that you go through, the more impatient you become. Can I explain to every single person in this room why the fulfillment of the prophecy of Jesus coming back has not happened so far? Because he's waiting for you. Second Peter says, the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise. As some understand slowness, instead he's patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. That's why we do invitations. There's a lady coming to the 1115 service. Two years ago, her friend took a huge risk and said, would you come with me to Christmas Eve? And she was shocked when her friend said, okay. And Karen came to Jesus because of a little tiny piece of paper that's not just a little tiny piece of paper, it's a tool in the hand of an absolutely wonderful counselor, everlasting father, mighty God, prince of peace. Some prophecies have a long timeline attached. This last one that I wanna to read to you has about 10 months attached to it. Joseph just found out about the whole pregnant virgin thing, which I'm through, sure threw him for a leap or for a loop. And he's considering his options, some of which were pretty bleak at that time. And this is what happens, Matthew chapter one. But after he'd considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their Sin. That last little phrase is so important because just remember what we talked about. The Old Testament law demanded blood for the covering of sin. Sin is going to cost a life, and Jesus shows up to pay our debt in full. There's over 300 specific prophecies about the Messiah in the Bible, and Jesus Christ fulfilled every single one of them. Mathematicians have been trying to calculate the mathematical probability of Jesus fulfilling those. Let me give you the best math that I can summon up in my non-numeric brain, okay? Mathematicians say the mathematical probability of Jesus fulfilling just 48 of these 300 plus prophecies is one times 10 to the 157th power. Let me, for the math people in the room, can I see, that's a lot of zeros. That's a lot of zeros, and that's just to fulfill 48 of the 300 plus. 
Peter Stoner wrote a book called Science Speaks. He uses a word picture that I think is just important for those of us that can't calculate that number of zeros. The mathematical probability of Jesus fulfilling 48 of the 300 plus prophecies in scripture is the same as this. I take you to the state of Texas. I blindfold you and I drop you off in Dallas. While you're being blindfolded, I have covered the entire state of Texas two feet thick in silver dollars. The whole state. Somewhere in the state, at any depth that I chose, I took one single silver dollar and I painted it red. And I stuck it wherever I wanted to put it. Now I've blindfolded you, dropped you off in Dallas, and I've said this, you can go anywhere you want to in the great state of Texas. Just stay inside of the boundaries. You can go anywhere you want to, and you get to pick one single silver dollar. The mathematical probability of you picking the red one that I hid is exactly the same mathematical probability of Jesus Christ being able to fill 48 of the 300. And here's the crazy thing. He didn't fulfill 48 of them. He fulfilled all of them. Every single one. When you think about it, it's just mind-boggling. I just mentioned four. And all four of them are fulfilled in one tiny little story. One section of about 20 verses in Scripture. And I never get tired of reading it or hearing it. So here we go. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was the governor of Syria. And everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem. What do you know? The town of David. Because he belonged to the house in the line of David. He went there to register with Mary. What do you know? Who was pledged to be married with him and was expecting. What do you know? A child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. And she gave birth to her firstborn, <laughs> what do you know, a son. She wrapped him in cloths, placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. There were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flock at night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, don't be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today, in the town of David, a savior has been born. And he is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You'll find a baby wrapped in cloths, lying in a manger, Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem. See this thing that's happened, which the Lord's told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. And when they'd seen him, they spread the word concerning what they had been told about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondered them in her heart. 
The shepherds returned to glorifying and praising God for all the things they'd heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. And that is what Christmas is all about, Charlie Brown. I love the fulfillment summary of all of these prophecies in Galatians chapter four. It says, but when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law that they might receive adoption to sonship. Make no mistake, the greatest gift you have ever been offered never showed up under your tree. The greatest gift that you've ever been offered is adoption papers from the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. I love that little phrase there, when the time set had fully come. I mean, it's just the right time. It's a dark time, but that's good because when you turn the light on in darkness, it really matters. The exact perfect time, a time when there was really only one universal language, Koine Greek, which allowed the tradespeople to be able to speak to each other. I mean, it was like it was like it was perfectly set up for the story to be to communicated to people. The Rome, the Roman road system allowed for information to travel faster than it had ever traveled before. And the Roman Empire was crumbling from the inside out, which was making people say, There's just gotta be something more to life than this. And into that moment, not to abolish the Old Testament law, but to fulfill it perfectly came one that prophets had been whispering about for centuries. I summarized it this way in your outline. Jesus came at just the right time to just the right people, to just the right place, for just the right reason, to light a way home for me and you. Let me put it another way. Jesus came for you. Right here. Right now. So that you could find your way home for Christmas. He came for you. Bev came for you. Steve came for you. Mama Jerry came for you. Stan came for you. Dan, Heidi, he came for you. No matter your name, that truth applies. Came for you. Because he doesn't want you to stumble around in the darkness. He actually wants you to, to find your way home. So today... May we walk from this place not wrapped in the darkness of the world around us, but may we walk from this place saying, in this much darkness, a little bit of light goes an awfully long way. May the peace of God allow you to be the light of the world this week. May the peace of God draw you to the light of the world this week. And may the people of God live differently because none of this is on our shoulders. It's all on his and the last time I checked, he's really, really, really strong. Would you pray with me as we close today? God, for those carrying deep, dark burdens today, 
may they know that there is one here who brings light into their darkness. A wonderful counselor, a mighty God, an everlasting father, a prince of peace. Lord, for those who are wrapped in nothing but joy in this season, may they look to you as the source of that joy and may their joy continue and multiply. God, for those here in the room who do not know the light of the world, I pray that in this moment, right now, in a quiet moment of faith, that they would reach to you in a moment of confession and repentance and simply say, Jesus, I'm sick and tired of being in the dark. So with every head bowed, every eye closed, as we just take a quiet moment If you're here today and the darkness seems so dark, Jesus would want nothing more than to turn on the light in your soul. And we believe that can happen by a simple act of faith. And so if you're here today and you don't know Jesus Christ, the light of the world, I'd like to lead you in a simple prayer because God would want nothing more for Christmas than you. So pray with me right now. Father God, I admit that I have walked in darkness for far too long. But now today I'm asking that you, the light of the world, would turn on a light in my soul. God, before you, I confess my sin. I've been wrong. But I ask now that you would forgive me that you would wash my record as white as snow, that you would remove all of the guilt from me because you came and you died for me. From this day forward, I give you my life, my past, my present, and my future. God, would you not only give me forgiveness for sin, but Lord, I look forward to an eternity with you. But in the meantime, God, would you help me to shine the light that you've turned on in my heart right now? God, I want to live different. I want to be different. So Jesus, I accept the gift of salvation today. And I thank you for the greatest gift I could ever receive. And I pray these things in Jesus' name.